of Philippians. Big time. And Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. Lord God, in the body of Christ, Lord God, not just through this church or this ministry, Lord God, but what you're doing in the body of Christ universal. And Father, we just thank you, Lord God, that we have the privilege and opportunity to be just a small part, uh, Lord God, in that, that huge process, Lord God, that's happening in this late hour. And so, Father, tonight, in the name of Jesus, we just come together and we just ask, Father, for your heart and your mind, Lord God, we, we just desperately, Lord God, need and desire the mind of Christ. We ask, Lord God, that you would just fill us, Lord God, with a spirit of wisdom and of understanding, Lord God, and of revelation. That, Father, you would just cause our hearts and minds to be open. Father, tonight, we just lay aside, Lord God, any weight, Lord God, weight of presupposition, weight of thought, Lord God, uh, weight of anything, Lord God, to uh, impede, Lord God, that which you would desire to teach us tonight. In Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, that you want to do something new in our hearts and lives, Lord God, just like gathering fresh manna, Lord God, from the ground. Father, we thank you for the things that we've seen. We thank you, Lord God, for, for what we've experienced, Lord God. But we want something, Lord God, so fresh and so new in this late hour. We want something, Lord God, that's going to quench the thirst, Lord God, of the thirsty. It's going to feed the hungry, Lord God. It's going to change and transform, Lord God, those that are in bondage. So tonight, as we come into this place, Lord God, we are totally dependent upon Jesus. Father, I confess that in and of myself I am incapable, Lord God, of giving or delivering anything, Lord God, of any sustenance. But, Father, I thank you that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. So, Father, tonight we just ask, Lord God, that you would just anoint the words that are spoken. You'd anoint their ears to hear. And, and, and Father, that, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord God, that which you would speak, Lord God, unto the church tonight. So, Father, just give us guidance and wisdom, Lord God. You said if anyone lacks it, let them ask of God. Anoint our ears to hear, Lord God. Anoint my voice to speak. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. I want to talk to you tonight just for a little bit about this whole aspect of church planning. And, and I don't even want to go a little bit further than that. Ministry pioneering. Anybody feel kind of have a pioneering spirit? You like to, to, to kind of get out on the cusp and kind of get out on the frontier of things? You know, if, if you ever see me watching a movie and you ask Kayla this, 99.9% of the time if I'm watching anything, it's a Western. I just love Western movies. I will. I, will, I like old Western television. So I flipped, the last thing I flipped on the other day, and remember the old movie uh, Shane, the Western Shane. I, I love those. You know, they're always positioned kind of right. And the little boy, Shane, come back. Didn't you love that? And uh, I, I, like, I, I like it because usually the, the, the imagery there, it's always like on the edge of the frontier. You see all these things happening. And can you imagine living in that day and age? I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of like, you know, later on in the late 60s when Star uh, Trek came out, you know, the, one of the things was to boldly go where no man has gone before. You know, if, if you're going to be a church planter or even really, folks, a ministry leader, you've got to have that type of frontiersman type of mentality. What I liked about those guys, and you see the movies, the depictions, a couple of weeks ago on Saturday afternoon, they have these westerns on some channel, and they had the Jeremiah Johnson film that had uh, Robert Redford on it. And here was a guy that wasn't a mountain man, but he got so sick of society, he decided to, to dive into all those things, and he had to learn in the process. But in that process, he became a survivor. And if there's anything that I can say about people that are on the cusp and the leading edge of ministry is that they are survivors. They're able to weather storms that other people can't weather. They're able to, to overcome opposition that other people can't uh, overcome. And what you'll find about that type of person that God calls into that type of role, that you're never going to see them up one minute and down the next. 
What you're going to see somebody is, is walks in a certain type of expectancy on the things of God, and they're going to always be pressing. They're always going to be moving forward. They're not going to get sidetracked or, 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 or distracted by the things on the right or by the things on the left. What are they going to do? They're going to keep pushing. They're going to be pursuing. One of the, the phrases I've coined over the years is, there's a greater reality than what I see, and it's what God has said. Because, folks, you know what? We could bring one of these guys like a David Blaine. I believe that's his name, isn't it? The, these guys that do this close-up uh, uh, little uh, magic in the, their hands. And there's some guy that does some type of thing. Chris Angel. And, you know, we could get them up here. and They could do some close-up magic right in front of our face and fool our eye. They could. They could say, you pick a card and we're so, so convinced that that's it. Or they can bend uh, coins in their teeth, not realizing that there's a sleight of hand that fools our eyes. How many of you know that our eye can be fooled? And now when I talk about the eye, I'm not just talking about just what you see in, in, with ocular evidence. I'm talking about just our perception of things. The perception of people can be fooled by circumstance. And what those close-up magicians do, those guys that do elude, those illusionists, I think they call themselves, what they do is they, they're always taking something that's going to distract you. They're always going to take you somewhere else so that they can manipulate a circumstance. And how many of you know that the enemy is the, 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 the very best at that? God gives you something. God puts something before you. He establishes something. But the enemy is always using, utilizing a sleight of hand, a disappointment, an unmet expectation, a circumstance, a, a, an offense, whatever it is, to kind of distract you from what God really has for you. But if you kind of slow everything down, you know, I've done that before. I've seen some of these guys do these tricks, and I said, man, how do they do that? Well, the advent of videotape, they, they film those things, and with the advent of slow motion... You can go back frame by frame, and slower than the naked eye, you can see exactly where the switcheroo is made. Now, in the day before you could do that, they could just pull it off, and you never had a way to go back and say, I want to see that again. But now with YouTube, you can kind of go back and drag your, drag your little marker over. And say, oh, yep, I see where he distracted me from that. So my question is for you tonight. Do you find yourself easily distracted by the things of the world. If you do, without answering that question, what you need to find, get yourself focused upon the things of God. You need to learn to set your face like flint, not looking to the left, not looking to the right, regardless of if a thousand fall by one hand and ten thousand by the right. You're continuously in pursuit of those things that God has called you to do. If you are not that, chances are you're not going to be on the cusp and you're not going to be a pioneer. You're not going to be a planter. Does that mean that you don't have a role in ministry? That doesn't mean that at all. It just means that maybe you're not wired to those things. But who I want to talk to tonight, and who I want to kind of, kind of pick on tonight in this thing, is those that may feel a call to that. And I told you, telling Pastor Alex, you know, get ready, brother, because you're about to have to live in Philippians, uh, the, whole, the whole book, not just chapter 3. But you're going to begin to see these things that are so necessary that, that for the things that God has called uh, you to do. Even some of you younger guys that are just now getting into the ministry, and you feel like God is telling you something to do. Uh, uh, Troy, going out on, in the campus of, of Bethune-Cookman, what's going to work today, brother... Won't be effective next week. You hear what I'm saying? And so what you've got to do, you've got to get a leading edge mentality about what's going to happen at that, on that college campus or on the next college campus, whatever it is that God's called you to. You've got to begin to develop a leading edge type of mentality on not how I can just talk to one guy, but God, how can we literally come over, come into this place and invade a college campus with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if you're just going to be satisfied with kind of meandering around and hope to talk to somebody, you're never going to change the, the, the spiritual complexion of that campus. I've got to believe that that's what you want to see. But you've got to get that leading edge type of mentality. Let me, let me give you, I'm going to give you eight things and write these things down 
Because you'll be back, you'll be able to go back and, and look at these. They're real, real short little things. Here's what you can expect if you want to be on the leading edge of ministry. Here's what you can expect. Number one, long, endless hours. Long, endless hours. Some of you may want to bail out right now. You hear what I'm saying? Long and endless hours. When I was 24 years old and I had an opportunity to go into an inner city church and take it as a pastor, I was already working a full-time job. I worked a job and I was, in, I was a credit manager in, in consumer lending. I worked in a banking uh, environment. I worked six days a week uh, and I worked a lot of hours. 40 hours was not my, my work week. You know, 40 hours is where I got started. The normal people that worked the job worked 40 hours. But because of my mentality was that if I'm going to do it, I want to do it the best. Okay? And so it wasn't just in the, in, the, in the church atmosphere, but it was in the secular employment. If I'm going to work for these people, I want to demonstrate, and I, and, and I want to be there, and I want to represent Jesus in everything I do. And so that means that when everybody else started wrapping up at 5 o'clock and, and, and waiting for the hand to strike, I'm still at my desk waiting, trying to set something up for business for the next day. That was my heart, and that was my type of mentality. Because I just didn't want to stay in some mundane thing and make the same money and, and have the same position. If I was going to have to be there... I wanted to, to demonstrate uh, a type of attitude, a type of perseverance to, to go. So what did it take? It took long hours in that. Now I go into a church atmosphere, and I'm not only working 50 hours a week in my regular employment, but now I'm suddenly preaching three times a week. I'm preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, when, we, when all churches services had Sunday night, and Wednesday night as well. And so you can just imagine what my schedule was like and all the other things that came into play. And not only that, but I was married and had two little kids at the time and who are still my sweet little kids. But uh, all of those responsibilities. So what it took, it took long, endless hours. I'd hear people call that were in the ministry say, you know what, it'd be nice just to live a normal life. i got some news for you. That is a normal life for anybody that's in the ministry. Your life ceases to be your own, and it belongs to everyone else. So if that's you, if that's your calling, if that's the directive that God has for your life, get ready for your life to cease to be your own, and you're going to have to give it to, with everyone else. So that's the first thing, long, endless hours. Here's the second thing that you can expect. Greatly limited financial resources. Greatly limited financial resources. And the doors are not locked, so you still can leave at this point. Greatly limited financial resources. I told you before I coined the phrase that the greater reality than what I see and it's what God has said. That's what will get you through those countless hours. The next uh, phrase that I've coined, and you've probably heard me say it if you've been around me for over five minutes, is you do as much as you can with as much as you have. You do as much as you can with as much as you have. That's number two. Greatly limited financial resources. The thing about it is, guys, God's not going to ask you to do more than what He's uh, given you the ability to do or He's given you the resources to do. And so what happens and what gets people discouraged is many times when God puts them out on that leading edge, He puts them out on the frontier of ministry to establish something. They, ha they have all these dreams. They have all these aspirations. They have all these things that we call vision. They call it plans. And when everything is not in place to meet those things, somehow they think they've missed God. They say, well, I can't do it because God told me to do this, but I don't have all these people to do it. Well, God told me to do that, but I don't have all the resources to do it. Well, God told me to go pick up all these children. I don't even have a car to get myself to church, let alone 50 children or, or all these other type of things. So what do you do? You do as much as you can with as much as you have. 
Because the second that you try to do more than what you have, what you're going to do is you're going to be operating in an illusion. And you're going to find yourself greatly disappointed. Twofold thing. Not only just resources in regards to operating on, do as much as you can with as much as you have. Now, if God has given you a revelation, brother, on repentance, okay? You know what you need to be preaching? You need to be preaching repentance. You don't need to be preaching somebody else's revelation on faith. You hear what I'm saying? Why? Because you don't have that. So what you need to do is you need to take what God has entrusted you with and you need to squeeze everything out of that that's possibly there to be squeezed. You hear what I'm saying? Because what happens, and what I've seen over the years derail so many people in ministry, is you'll see God has entrusted you to something, Aaron, and God has given you that, but you're looking over at Pastor Tom and say, man, I like what he's done. And so what you'll do is you'll begin to neglect what God has given you. You'll neglect the gift, you'll neglect the, the wisdom, you'll neglect the word, you'll, you'll neglect all those things that God has given you. Why? Because you see what He has is something that may garner more attention or more accolades. And what ends up happening is you'll leave what God has entrusted you with, the talent, the ability, and what you'll do is you'll be trying to coattail on somebody else's ability. And you'll always come up flat. So, folks, I really encourage you in that whole aspect is use, do as much as you can with as much as... You have. And you're going to see that right off the bat a lot of times in regards to finances. The third thing is you're going to run into is a constant requirement to change and adapt to circumstance. Number three, a constant requirement to change and adapt to circumstance. What's the term I use for that? A constant requirement to change and adapt to circumstance. A constant requirement to change and adapt to circumstance. I call it remaining fluid. You've got to remain fluid. Here's the thing, folks. A lot of times God gives us the... the uh, it's a good way to put it. God gives us the, the latitude to do a lot of things. Right? Now, God says, I want you to go and minister in Daytona Beach. I'm just going to throw that out here. Now, the method is not sacred, folks. You hear what I'm saying? The method is not sacred. The message is what's sacred. Now, how you take and apply that message, God's going to give that to you. And so if the, the, the methodology to take and apply that message, if it's, if it's one thing this coming Saturday, brother, the next Saturday the environment changes, you don't need to be so committed to your methodology that you abandon the message and you miss the opportunity that God gives you. And so what it requires is a fluidity to say, okay, God, what is it that I'm looking at today? And God, who is it that I'm looking at today? What is the condition of a person's heart today? What is the circumstance that I'm confronted with today? And God, I need to be mindful and sensitive enough to the Spirit of God that regardless of my situation, what can I do? I can adapt to it. The way Paul the Apostle said, he said, I've learned to become all things to all men, that by all means that I can reach some. And so to the Jew... I adapted to the Jew. To the Greek, I adapt to the Greek. To the barbarian, I adapt to them. To the person at Soul City, I adapt to them. To the person at Razzles, I adapt to them. person at Beach Side, I adapt to them. person at the shopping mall or the doctor's office, I'm going to adapt to them. Why? Because the message remains the same. It's constant, but the environment that I'm in requires me to adapt the methodology for those things. So you better have the ability to adapt to whatever circumstance you find yourself in. 
The fourth thing is that you're going to be confronted with a lack of or a limited visual, excuse me, a lack of or limited visible or measurable results. Let me say that again. A lack of or limited visible or measurable results. In other words, you're going to tell yourself a million times, is what I'm doing doing any good? A lack of, just put down, a lack of measurable results. A lack of measurable results. Is what I'm doing really doing any good? Is what I'm doing effective? Is what I'm doing changing anyone? Is what I'm doing having an impact on anyone's life? Now, you know what? Let's just take a real-time situation here in Daytona Beach. Uh, Aaron, you've gone out and spent countless hours in front of Razzles preaching the gospel. You know what? People are still going into that place. You know what I'm saying? You've gone and warned people. There's probably certain people that you've warned innumerable times. You've seen the same faces. You've had the same conversation. You've seen, is it really doing any good? See, sometimes you think to yourself, what good is it doing? But then you have to step, take a step back and you've got to say, okay, what is the impact beyond what I see? Okay, what God has said. Let me think. You know, a few years ago, we started going out there and we're thinking, okay, God, we're positioning ourselves for the miraculous. We're positioning ourselves. That way, when something breaks loose, when God begins to do it, you know what? It's going to have an impact. You know what I think about, too? I think about, had we not been committed to go into that environment? And this may, you may not see the implications of this now. Uh, and you may not even see them on this side of eternity. But I think about a couple, two or three weeks ago, when we were out there, and all of a sudden, a group of five or six young men came across the street. And they said, we were just fixing to go into that, that club. And we saw the sign, and we heard the preaching of the gospel over the hailer. And one of the men just happened to be television evangelist Benny Hinn's 18-year-old son, who was struggling over the fact and battling the fact that his uh, mother and father were getting a divorce after 35 years of marriage. He, he was battling the fact that for five years of his life that he had been doing drugs. I mean, here's a, a well-known, prominent televangelist. He's the... the, the one of four children in that family, two older sisters, one younger, 18, just about to be 19 years old, and got to come over, and we spent a good portion of two hours praying for and ministering to him, so much to the degree the next night he came back to where we were, and he said, I just had to come back and see if y'all were, y'all were here again. And what's interesting, what he said, he said two things that stood out in my mind. The first thing was, he said, I've never heard the Word of God like that before. I've never heard the Word of God like that before. Now, we're talking about a father who has, obviously, a worldwide ministry, preaches in coliseums and stadiums and places that, that have upwards of hundreds of thousands of people in them. He's probably not just heard his father, but he's heard the, the Word of God preached by prominent people that are on television or whatever else. And the second thing that he said that stood out, he said, I've never felt the anointing like this. Now, here's what's interesting. You follow that ministry, you, you're gonna, every other word is the anointing. Okay? Now, on a street corner, I couldn't tell you the last time I heard somebody utilize the terminology anointing. Right? And so you see a young man like that, that it's involved in a certain atmosphere, that suddenly, because you weathered the storm, now what's going to happen? I believe that young man who is going to, one time in his life, he's going to get right with Jesus. Amen? He's going to get right, and because of the circles that his family moves in, I'm believing that word that was just the basics of the gospel, the message of the cross, the blood of Jesus, something that, that, that you can't conjure up, that, that God had to take him out of a football stadium, bring him to a dirty old street corner in front of a nightclub to show him the reality, that that was where Jesus would have found himself. He got to see that, and it had nothing to do with Aaron or Troy 
Roy or, or Thomas or Alex or, or Manziel. It had everything to do with somebody being obedient and weathering the storm until the right person showed up that needed to hear that message. And so what you're going to be confronted with many times is a lack of measurable results in this lifetime. The next thing you're going to be uh, confronted with is a, a real or perceived lack of appreciation. A real or perceived lack of appreciation. Pastor Alex, brother, don't ever find yourself falling into feeling like a lack of perceived or real appreciation. Man, does anybody ever care, even care what i got to say? Pastor Thomas, don't ever think that. Man, am I doing any good? Man, nobody appreciates me. Man, I said, I said something. Nobody even said amen. Nobody even said good word. Nobody even wanted to buy my CD. Nobody ever wanted to... Don't fall into that trap. Why? Because you're not doing this to get the accolades or the appreciation or the acceptance of men. You are doing what you do because you've been bought with a price. Your life is not your own. You're not sitting back waiting for somebody to throw a dollar on the altar. You're sitting back saying, God, I want to be obedient. If no one recognizes it, if no one sees it, Lord God, I want to be found faithful on that day. I got invited a number of years ago when I was pastoring in Texas to a pastoral prayer meeting. Afterwards, I, I wondered why I ever got invited to this one. This is one of two that I got invited, with, invited to, and I didn't get invited back to either one of them, uh, uh, by the way. But I sat in that meeting, and I'm looking around the room, and I, I recognized who these guys were, just crossing their paths or seeing them on local television. And probably in the room that I was in, the number of people that, that represented their congregations, probably 30,000 people in a city of 200,000. I was sitting in the room with the pastors of 30,000 people in my city. One had a church of 5,000. Another had a church of 3,000. This guy had a church of 6,000. Except for two. Two of the guys, myself and another brother in the Lord, that, that actually, he, he was a bivocational minister. He worked in, uh, he was an electrician. And, and I remember them going around the room, and they said, in, in the, the, the pastor that was, uh, had organized this prayer meeting, he said, listen, I just called you guys together. And again, me and this guy are wondering why we got invited, because we, did, we weren't pastors of some mega church. We were back, actually on the wrong side of town. Maybe they just had a quota to fill, and so we got invited. But, but for whatever reason, I remember going around the room, and they, they said this. They said, listen, as, as pastors, there's, there's certain things that we need prayer for, but we don't have anybody to, to kind of bring it up. So that's what we called this meeting for, to, to kind of... Talk about it. And, and the pastor that opened it up, he said, "Listen, you know, we're 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 looking to buy a piece of land and with these acreage to in order to, to to expand our ministry. And really, we just need prayer because we don't know whether to to, to buy the the land that, that that's on that road that faces north or on the other road that's adjoining it that's going to face the other direction." And I'm thinking to myself. Out of all the prayer requests that you could have, he's wondering and, and wanting prayer and intercession on whether it's going to have a northern or southern exposure on the front of his building. So the next guy goes and he says, you know what, we're, we're thinking about extending our, 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 our television broadcast from, from a half hour to an hour. And we've got some, uh, some, some, some things that are coming up on some satellite. And man, I just really need y'all's prayer. And still I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's going on? And, but the whole conversation went around. And as they're speaking, I got a call right before I went into that meeting. And it was from a sister in the church that some of you guys know, Cindy Castro. And she was telling me, she said, Pastor, listen, we were out ministering on the boulevard today, and she said, there were two girls that were prostitutes that we won to Jesus. And she said, you know, Pastor, listen, they, they live, their house is right behind our church, but they deal drugs out of there, and that's where the pimp has control over them. Pastor, we've got to get them out of that house. We've got to do something. What can we do? 
And so my, the last conversation I had before I went into that meeting was about two girls whose, whose lives were shambles because of the lifestyle they had to live, and they wanted out of it. They needed some help. And so I'm thinking to myself, there's people that are in desperate need of Jesus to show up. Man, that's what we need to be praying for. And so by the time they got around to me, I was broken, and I was, I, I was, I was crying before the Lord, and I got passed up, and the next pastor that went... He said, guys, he said, I hear everything that you're saying. He said, but my prayer request is, on that day, I want to be found faithful. I want to be found faithful. You know, it's interesting, pa- uh, Pastor Ellis, it was his name, Pastor Alex Ellis was actually working on a, on a job. He was an electrician by trade. And he was a man probably in his late 60s, or late 50s, excuse me, early 60s, who had had a history of, of heart problems and died and went to be with the Lord right outside the house that he was working on and left his wife Cindy Ellis as a but you know what I believe that he was found faithful why because he wasn't in a place like that to receive the accolades of men or appreciation or any of those type of things he was there to be found faithful so folks listen don't get sidetracked by the lack of real or perceived appreciation because the voice that you want to hear say well done my good and faithful servant is the voice that spoke and brought all this into existence to begin with. So that was number five. The sixth thing that you will be confronted with is isolation and loneliness. Isolation and loneliness. You can look throughout the Word of God, look at the prophets of old, and what you're going to find is you're going to find probably bar none. You're going to find every one of those individuals that God strategically took them through a phase, took them through a, a period of isolation and loneliness. Look at some of the writings in Paul the Apostle, some of his pastoral epistles. He begins to say that there was no one with me, but perhaps this person, or, or please pray that you can come to me, or whatever else. And you can see that there's t- times of isolation. If you've ever been to the nation of Turkey, you can look out over the Mediterranean, you can see the Isle of Patmos there, where, where John the Revelator was, was isolating, put there. But folks, here's the thing. Most people, most ministers, want to avoid those times of isolation and loneliness. They do. Why? Because by nature, you're typically a person that is, quote-unquote, a people person. You're a person that enjoys the crowd. You enjoy the activity. You enjoy the involvement. But in, and sometimes, it comes times to those isolation and loneliness, you're wondering what's wrong. And God isn't saying anything's wrong. He's saying it's exactly right. Why? Because there's those times where you've got to find yourself getting off the battlefield and getting off the battleground, so to speak, and moving to a place of the holy ground. And so what God will do, He will invariably put circumstances, situations, things in your path that are going to cause you to kind of steal away and begin to seek Him first. And you're going to find that He becomes your, ho- your hope. He becomes your refuge. He becomes your strength. He becomes that ever-present help in time of need. And He can only accomplish those things when He isolates you and moves you through all, from, away from all those other things, all those other stimuluses, all those other things that come into your life that want to speak into your life. Why does He do that? So he can begin to tune you in to his solitary voice. That way when he begins to speak, and he begins to say go, and he begins to say move, that you don't flinch at the opposition of anyone else. You don't flinch at somebody says, you'll never be able to do it. You don't flinch on all those things. Why? Because you've got a word from God. Now, folks, after 13 and a half, nearly 14 years of church planting in, in Texas and, and pouring into a, a, a work, you know, I, there, was a, there was a time that I just had to get away for about three months, literally. And most people didn't know it because it wasn't a physically getting away. 
But it's a time of just separating myself unto God in the season of just really intercessory prayer, needing to hear from God because I knew that God was wanting to speak to me. I knew that God had a directive for my life and for the ministry that He had entrusted me with. And so what I did is I just began to just listen to the voice of God. And so out of that is where God began to speak to us and, and say, listen, you're going to have to leave here. You're going to have to leave the, the, the Texas and you're going to, I'm sending you to the city of New Orleans. I'm sending you there. Now, folks, once I got that word from God in that period that people would mark as a time of, of loneliness, that they'd mark as a, as, as a time of isolation, you know what? It was the happiest time of my life. Why? Because I'd heard from God. I, there was no competing voices. There was no plan B. There was nothing else. There was just hearing from God. And by hearing from God, a clear directive, you know what happened? I got tuned into that voice. And so what happened is because I took the time of isolation, I took the time of separation from all those other things, then what happened is I got trained in hearing the voice of God. God spoke. Yep, I've heard that before. God said this. Yep, I've heard that before. God gave that directive. Yep, I've heard that before. I know exactly when God is telling me to move, when God is telling me to stand. And so when we went and we began to stand before a congregation, Pastor Thomas was there that day. He said, listen, God's been speaking to us. He told us that He wants us to turn this work over to you guys locally and go to the city of New Orleans. He told us exactly the day to leave, November 17th of 2003. He told us exactly how much financial resources to take with us, $3,000. We knew all those things. Had, 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 had no place to go, no place to live, no financial support there. But you know what we had? We had a word that God gave us, a time of isolation. A time that God gave us and a time that in the natural it seemed like a period of loneliness. So if you find yourself in that period that God has stilled you away, you need to stop, close your mouth, and begin to listen to what God says. Amen? The seventh thing that you're going to find is feeling rejected or misunderstood. Feeling rejected or misunderstood. Not in your head. You ever felt rejected or misunderstood? People don't even know where I'm coming from. What are they thinking? People are hating me. You're crazy. You miss God. You're a nut. You're a cult. You're a wacko. You're a loser. You've missed it. You're prideful. You're boastful. You're arrogant. You're crazy. All of those type of things. Whatever they can put. Why is that, folks? It's because just because they don't understand what God is saying to you, the best thing for them to do is to reject that voice because they're not hearing it. You've heard me preach sometime, and I've written on it uh, pretty extensively, out of the 17th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, when, um, excuse me, the 16th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, when, when uh, uh, Jesse had sent his, uh, his son David to go check on his older brothers at the battle when, they, when he ended up killing Goliath. And I, I talked about in that, that message, in that writing that I wrote, about the first person he w- was confronted by was his eldest brother, Eliab. And his brother told him, he said, the only reason that you're here is because you want to see the fight. The only reason you're here is because you're prideful. Now, what did you do with those, those few little sheep that you had the responsibility of? That the voice of Eliab was telling him, listen, you're, you've missed it, you're prideful, you're arrogant. And instead of David, it says he just turned and began to speak in like manner to someone else. He did not even uh, 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 entertain those words or those thoughts that came towards him. Amen? So, folks, what you're going to find is you're going to find times of feeling rejected, being misunderstood. But what you've got to do, you've got to hold your course. You've got to stay steady. You've got to keep your face set like a flint. You've got to keep your mind upon God. You've got to look to Him. You've got to go back. Here's what I say. Here's a good rule for you. If you're uncertain about what God is speaking to you right now, go back to the last thing that He spoke to you and make sure you complete it. Because God's not like people. God's not fickle. What God will do, He will speak something to you. 
And he'll watch over his word in which to perform it. And so if, you, if God spoke something to you, Jesse, and you knew that you knew that you knew, then now you're, you're down the road just a little bit. You say, well, what, what's, what else is God going to do? Man, I feel frustrated. Everything I'm trying to do, it seems like, man, I'm hitting these obstacles. Well, because now you're not operating on God's Word. You're operating on your feelings or your ideas or those ways that seem right unto a man. Proverbs 14, 12, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So what do we do? We step back into that place rather than feeling rejected and misunderstood. We say, God, what is it that you were speaking to me? God, let me do everything in my power to see those things fulfilled in my heart and life. Why? So I can move on to new things. Folks, the Word says that the steps of good men are ordered up by God. Not the leaps, not the bounds, not the jumps, not the karate kicks, nothing else. Just the steps. How big's a step? It's just right there in front of you. It's a step. It don't move you too far, but it's sure. You know what? I could tell you to jump across the floor as far as you can, and I guarantee on your landing you're going to be unsteady. But if I just told you to take a step, I'm not swinging. I'm not rocking. I'm steady as she goes. So in the midst of feeling rejected, being misunderstood, don't allow it to get you off course. Folks, here's the thing. If the enemy cannot stop you from doing the will of God, do you know what he'll do? He'll get behind you and he'll accelerate your path and push you over the end. Big problem with, with, with ministry, with people on the leading edge. If he can't stop you, what he'll do is he'll get behind you and he'll accelerate you past that point of obedience. So be watchful for those things. The eighth thing is feeling inadequate. Feeling inadequate. Anybody ever been there? 24 years old. Let me go all the way back. Joy, Joy feels me. Everybody else feels adequate. I'm glad y'all are a lot better than we were. Having never preached in a pulpit, but one time at 18 years old, six years later, here I am walking into a church. Uh, didn't know the pastor, didn't know anything. Walks up to me. Uh, it'd be like you walking into a church that you'd never been to, Aaron, and the pastor coming up to you say, Hey, listen, I'm not going to be back for a while. I need you to start preaching for me. It's like, what? I've never done that before. But you know what? Because the call was there, when he spoke, he didn't speak to my flesh. He spoke to my call. Now, because my flesh was inadequate. My ability, my background, my, my training, all those things were inadequate, but the call had an adequacy. And so when I stepped out of the limitations of my flesh, and I stepped into the ability that only comes with the call of God, what ended up happening? Never missed a lick. People thought I'd been preaching for years. They thought I'd been at it for years. Why? Because I didn't draw from the flesh. I drew from the Spirit. Why? Because what He told me to do, where He called me to go, was not something that my flesh was called to. It was something that my spirit man was called to. And so as long as I walked in the Spirit, I didn't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh was, you're inadequate. You can't do it. You don't have the experience. These people are 25 years older than you. What do you know about this? Why? Because I stepped into another dimension of obedience unto God, and I didn't have to walk in the condemnation of the flesh. You can't, you can't, you can't. And I stepped into the ability of God. Why? Because I made myself available to Him. So those eight things, uh, long endless hours, amen. Greatly limited financial resources, praise God. Constant requirement to change and adapt to circumstance. A lack of limited or visible, measurable results. Real or perceived lack of appreciation. Isolation and loneliness. Feeling rejected or misunderstood. Feeling inadequate. Chances are, every one of you here can probably find at least one of those eight that would apply to you. I want to talk to you just a little bit tonight off of that. You know, these things are eight personal obstacles 
that really any 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 genuine church planner, any ministry uh, person that feels like they're called to that that frontier, that pioneering type of work is gonna you're gonna have to face. And not only are you gonna have to face those things, but you're gonna have to conquer those things. You're gonna get victory over those things. Here's the thing: it's just like God presenting you a test. It's a test that 70 percentile does not work. It may work on your driving test. It may work on a spelling test. But it will not work on a spiritual test that God has called you to. And so what's going to happen is, is God will give you those eight circumstances. He'll give you those eight situations. And until you pass every single one of them, He's going to keep on handing you back the paper. telling you that's what's going to happen. And so what's the best case to do? It's to pass the test the very first time. But what we want to do many times is we want to get ahead of God and we end up failing Time and time again. I remember a paper, I think I was probably in third or fourth grade, I'll never forget it. But the teacher gave us a put a paper, it was up face down on a page, and, and it was like two, three pages stapled together. And she stood up in front of the class and she says, Here's what I want you to do. She said, There's a hundred questions. And she said, I want you when I tell you, I want you to turn the paper on and I want you to read all the everything first. I want you to read every question, read everything first, then proceed. And so, okay, we'll do that. And so all the papers were handed out. And as soon as it went over, what, what do you think ended up happening? Everybody began to answer the questions as they went. Now, it had a hundred questions. But the last one really wasn't a question. It was a statement. Number 100 says, don't answer any of these questions. Just take your paper, turn it over, drop your pencil, and put your head down on your desk until called upon by the teacher. No one had their head down. Everyone was frantically writing all this. And you know what ended up happening? Everybody in the class failed the test. Why? Because everyone in the class failed to follow instructions. The test wasn't whether you can answer 100 questions in 55 minutes. The question is, are you going to obey what the voice of the Lord was, or in that case, the teacher, and you do exactly what the teacher said? Now, we would think to ourselves many times when God just says, do something, well, what's the profitability in that? You know what? I've got all these questions. I've got all this knowledge. I need to have an outlet for it. I need to have a way to, to, to answer a question. I need to be able to say, listen, I got them right. And, and, and so, since I missed that, can, you, can I just get like the plan B? Go back and I want to see, did I get, but did I get the 99 questions right? Well, it wasn't about the 99 questions. It was about question and direction number 100. But you would not take the time to read the material. You would not take the time to pay the price. And so as a result, you failed the test. Folks, here's the good news. God isn't satisfied with 99.9%. God is looking for 100%. So if God has called you to minister, to be a leading edge minister, do not come up short of the race. You know what I'm saying? He says that the race is to those that endure to the End. And so God is building a spiritual endurance on those that He's called to a frontier type of ministry. And so, in order to conquer or to see the fulfillment of God's desired plan for your life, you, you've got to get past this plan that God has for you. Because if you don't, it's not just going to affect you. You hear what I'm saying? It's going to affect everyone else's plan that God has tied you to. You hear what I'm saying? Now, think about it. We're sitting in this room today. Right? We're all here gathered. We're in... Sunny Daytona Beach, Florida, having a great night of, of loving Jesus and, 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 and hopefully hearing some good teaching and getting some, some ideas and maybe God establishing some things. Now, why are we here tonight? Equipped for the word of ministry? That's why we're here tonight? Well, that's the spiritual side of it. Why are we here tonight, Holly? It's because years ago, when God spoke in the midst of circumstances that would have said otherwise, I said yes. Now, had I not said yes, I can almost guarantee none of us would be in this room here tonight hearing what we're hearing. Now, that's just me. Now, think about the times that God speaks to you and the trickle effect that it has in other people. It's not just me. 
But every single one of us that God has put in a position of ministry that, uh, or to, to press into the frontiers, you've got to realize every decision that you make, everything that you do is going to be not just consequential to you, but to everyone else. And so for ministry, folks, you've got to look beyond self. Your obedience can't just be, how's this going to affect me? How's this going to affect Melanie? How's this going to affect Jerry and Kayla? But how's this going to affect every single other person that God has strategically put into my life and in my path to influence towards their destiny? You hear what I'm saying? And so in ministry, on, on leading edge frontier ministry, folks, you've got to think on that. You've got to say to yourself, okay, my attitude is going to affect someone else. My perception, my decision, the, my, the, the inflection in my voice, the expression on my face is, is going, to, uh, going to affect how somebody else does. The, 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 the way I talk to Aaron, the way I treat my children, the way I relate to my wife, every single one of those decisions that I make don't just stop with me. They stop with all those people that God has entrusted me with. Now, if you've got a big vision, that's a big responsibility. If you've got a little vision, it's right here, you know what you're going to be like? You're going to be like a liab. Why are you here? They'll just take care of your few little sheep. Well, he didn't even see the vision. He didn't even hear the promise that the prophet had made. He said, listen, you're going to be the king. And so David was already operating in the book of First uh, Samuel chapter 16 and 17 under the vision and the mentality of someone that was called to be king. And so you've got to begin to respond to the voice of God now, not like who you are, but to who God has called you to be. And so when these eight issues come upon your life, you've got to, you've got to pass the test as somebody that God has entrusted with an enormous responsibility. Now can somebody say, Amen. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. And here's what he said. He said, Though I might, this is Paul the Apostle speaking, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks he has more, he, he, uh, that he might trust in his flesh, he said, I have all the more. He said, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he has whereof he might trust in his flesh, I the more. That word confidence, and write this down, it means to trust in or to rely upon. What I love about it is the fact that, if you, and you can look at this up yourself, it's a word that's used exclusively by Paul the Apostle in the New Testament. Nobody else uses that, that Greek word that's translated confidence but Paul the Apostle. Nobody else. It's used probably five or six times in the New Testament. And Paul the Apostle, the only one who uses that word, he said, you might have confidence, I'm telling you, you can think that you do, but I have reason to have all the more confidence in my flesh. So here's a question I want to give you. Why do you think that Paul the Apostle, of all people, saw fit to bring that type of terminology into question as he, as he gave instruction regarding the work of the ministry? Why do, why do you think that is? Why do you think Paul the Apostle chose a word that nobody else even used? Talking about that confidence, that reliance upon the things of the flesh. You didn't, you didn't hear Peter say, hey, listen, guys, man, I'm just no fisherman, but, but man, I'll tell you what, when it comes to relying and having confidence, he didn't use that word. Timothy didn't use it. You, you, you didn't hear John the Revelator, who got to see the, 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 the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus, use that word. Why Paul? Why do you think Paul was the one that did that, Troy? Because of his background, which you're going to find in what? The next two verses. Well, let's just read his background. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Hebrew of Hebrews is touching the law. I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching righteousness, which is of the law, I was blameless. 
So Paul was an enormously gifted and intelligent individual. Would you say so? You know, I'd probably venture to say that, that, that he was probably in possession of a genius level IQ. I bet the guy was just sharp. And I look what he wrote and the things that he said. An amazing person. You know, he, he was probably schooled and, and educated in, in a plethora of subjects. I mean, you see some of the, the analogies and the things that he says. I mean, this was a very educated man, not just in Judaism and the law, but just things of the world. You see how he dealt with the Corinthians and different ones. I mean, this was a guy that, that intellectually was on top of his game. So, you know, he was obviously a, just a, a voracious student. He just consumed everything he got around. But he was probably an enormously... We, we read what he wrote. We can see his, his dialogue before, uh, before uh, King Agrippa. And so he was probably an amazing orator as well when he spoke. That he was like E.F. Hutton. He, he spoke, he wanted to listen, he wanted to hear what he, what he had to say. And so he was in possession of all these credentials. And he held a place of great honor among his uh, uh, contemporaries. But that was bad news. Folks, that was bad news. His diplomas, his background, his uh, uh, membership and whatever organization, that was bad news, according to Paul. Check it out, because with all of that inherent and acquired talents and ability, when it came time to fulfill the destiny that God had for him, look what he wrote in the next verse. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ Jesus. So, let me ask you a question. What are those things that you've seen as gain to yourself? Seen to yourself or to your plan or to your call, your ambition, your ministry, your whatever you want to call it. What are those things that you've seen in your life that have been gained to you? Even? Ability to learn, you've seen that as gain to you, BS? Or everyone here is so humble that you haven't ever seen anything like that? Yeah, some ability said, you know what, because I can do this, because I, I have this inherent ability, man, that's going to fast track me into the call of God. Anybody ever think anything like that? Or do we have a whole room full of the people that, number eight, that always felt inadequate? Holly. Huh? Music? Because I can sing, because I, I can worship, because I can write, or whatever, I have just that ability. Folks, that's dangerous many times. I don't meet people over the years that had just an enormous amount of talent. And what ended up happening is they began to depend more upon their talent and their ability than they ever did Jesus. And so what they did is they masqueraded those things. And people would always walk up to them and say, Man, you're so anointed. And you knew behind the scenes how they were living. You knew it wasn't the anointing. It was a gift. But as long as they could fool people with their gift and people would continue to call it the anointing, what, 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 what reason would they have to pray, seek the face of God, and, be, and to walk in righteousness and holiness? Why would they have to do those things if they seemed like they had already arrived? But Paul the Apostle said, all those things that I counted as gain, he said, I count those at loss for Christ Jesus. Folks, here's the point. If gain is your goal, then ministry is not your gift. If gain is your goal, then ministry is not your gift. Let me, let, me, let me say what I mean by that. If learning something that somebody else doesn't know, or achieving something that somebody else hasn't achieved, or doing something that someone else hasn't done, or holding a position, or, or being acknowledged like someone else hasn't been acknowledged, if that's your goal, then ministry is not your gift. Because ministry is the exact opposite. Ministry is just what John said. He said, I've got to decrease so that Jesus can increase. 
ministry says, how can I be a doormat? How can I be walked upon? How can I be trampled upon? Why? Because the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. And so those with the gift, the ministry gifts, say, God, how not can I achieve something, but Lord God, how can I decrease that I might facilitate somebody else to achieve something? Seems upside down, doesn't it? In a world built around a free market economy, it seems like it's so upside down. Well, I can do that, then I can pull them up. Well, what God has called us to do is to humble ourselves and become like a servant, not so we can pull somebody up, but so somebody could step on our back and climb over the wall that God has before them. Now, that's not a position that we like to be in. But think about what Jesus did when he went to the house just right before his, his betrayal. He began to wash the disciples' feet. No, don't wash my feet. If I don't wash your feet, you're not worthy for the kingdom. Why? Because he was setting the standard and the example for men to follow. He was setting the standard that shows, listen, I've come not to be served, but to serve. So is your heart the heart of a servant? It's not the heart of a servant. It's not the heart of a minister. Minister says, how can I serve? What can I serve? And a, min- and a servant doesn't have to be asked to serve. A servant does it by an extension of who they are. Look at Titus chapter 1. This really kind of explains that whole issue of those things that we see as gain. He counted as loss for Christ Jesus. Titus chapter 1, 5 through 11. What he does, he addresses this issue again in regards to uh, establishing ministry and ministers. And look at verse 5. He said, for this cause I left, uh, I left you in Crete that you should set in order. Somebody say, set in order. The things that are uh, wanting and ordain elders in every city as I have appointed you. And so he's given this letter, he's given this, this pastoral epistle to this, to this preacher Titus. And he's saying, listen, I, I've, I've come here, I've left you here in Crete, that you could put things in order. And the order that I want you to establish is to ordain elders. In other words, I want you to put people in cities. I want you to put people in places. I want you to ordain them, set them apart, that are going to be on the lean or the cuss of the ministry that God is raising up at this time. Well, because those places, it wasn't like some cities that got a church on every other street, or, or, or they're, 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 there's just a, a uh, uh, go to the yellow pages, and every other page is a church. It wasn't like that in this time. Why? Because this was at the, the birth of the church. This was on the frontier. And so he said, listen, I want you here to set things in order. Now look at verse 6, and consider this, and measure yourself as I begin to read these next few verses. He said, I want you to appoint elders in every city, as I appointed you. And he said, if any be... Blameless. If any be the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of right or unruly. He said, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, not a striker. And I want you to listen, catch this next part. Not given to filthy lucre. And I'll tell you why that in just a second. Verse 8. A lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. In other words, religious people, people that seem to be okay. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, who have an influence over what? Whole houses, whole clans, whole families, teaching things which they must not. Now look at that thing. For filthy lucre's sake. So you notice that there is a term there that's repeated twice in Paul's discourse, right? Regarding potential leaders. What was it? Filthy lucre. 
Now, when you hear that, what do you often, most often associate that with? Money, right? We, we hear filthy lucre. We immediately associate with somebody that's greedy, that's out to get it. What's interesting is that's not necessarily always the case, and it's really not even the case in this thing. The word used to translate it here in lucre is the same word that was translated as gain in Philippians 3.7. So he said, what things were, could have said, filthy lucre to me, I counted loss for Christ. Now, but look at what he was talking about. He wasn't talking about money, was he? He was talking about his position. He was talking about his accomplishments. He was talking about his gifts. Now, check this out. This is amazing. And so it doesn't deal with this, this financial remuneration or anything, but what it deals with is really a self-gratifying accomplishments or abilities. And so Paul was willing to part with and abandon all that he had grown to rely upon even those things that he utilized as a minister amongst his particular religious order. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. So that he could truly walk in obedience to the directives that the Holy Spirit had for his life. And so all of those things that he found to be effective in ministry, because he was effective, he said, I count those things at loss. All of those abilities, I, if I held on to those things, it would be filthy looker. I would be, it'd be like a greedy person. It'd be somebody that was holding on to something that, that, that didn't belong to me. It'd be a, a covetous type of mentality. And so he said, listen, I don't want to be bound by those things that I thought were good. Well, I'm a good speaker. Well, not anymore. I have the ability to influence. Not anymore. I can do this. Well, not anymore. I'm real humble. Not anymore. I'm this or whatever it is that, that he wanted to say. He's telling, he's, he's telling us, listen, those things were but lost that I might win Christ. How many times in our life we say, well, listen, that person over there, man, that person's outgoing. I bet we could really use them in a certain area. Or that person right there, they have a certain ability. So what we need to do, they're friendly, so obviously they're going to be the greeter. Or that person there, they're, they're, they're servants, so obviously we give them really a trash job because they won't complain about it. Or, or whatever. You think, think about it. Rather than all of those things that defined us as a lost person, all of those things that, that pigeonholed us according to a certain plan, I've got to put those things down. Now, we think about that in, always in terms of, 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 of good things or, 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 or super abilities. Somebody has an ability to really speak. We look at that. Well, what about that person that goes around and says, listen, man, you know what? I, just, I ain't got no ability. I can't do anything. I can't do that. Folks, that's filthy looker as well. What that's saying is well, who I was in the flesh is going to dictate who I am in the spirit. And said, you know, listen, I couldn't do that. Well, I can do that now. Folks, I got news for you. Up and through probably ninth grade, man, I was a bookworm. I was shy. I was backward. I never went out of the house. You know, I did normal type of things. But, man, I didn't, I wasn't out running around with my friends. My folks didn't allow that type of stuff for me. Even though, you know, made me, they weren't right where they needed to be with the Lord. But I wouldn't out run the streets and do what I want to do. I wouldn't, my buddies didn't come by and pick us up in the car and stay out there. I mean, that didn't happen. You know, later on, my, I think my folks just got wore out, and I entered a rebellion in high school and had my own car, and I did it on my own. But I didn't have that ability. But when the Spirit of God came into my life, I had to stop depending upon my inability. I had to stop depending upon my background or my lack thereof. And I had to say, I can truly do everything through Christ Jesus who gave me strength. When my pastor came to me and he said, I want you to lead worship. And I said, well, pastor, I don't sing. And he said, I didn't ask you to sing. He said, I asked you to worship. And I said, yes, I will. When the man said, would you preach for me? I didn't say, well, uh, but I don't preach. I said, yes, I will, because I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. When somebody in invited me to hit the streets of New York City or Skid Row. I couldn't say I've never been there before because I'd never been there before. I said, okay, here I am, Lord God, send me. 
Lord God, I want to count those things at loss. My inability, my lack of experience, my lack of boldness, my, my lack of understanding, Lord God, that I might step into a realm that has nothing to do with Troy Bond and everything to do with Jesus. Well, God, I can't preach. I can't teach. He said, that's okay. I can. And greater in mine is inside of you than he is inside of the world. Because he can preach. He can sing. He can cast out devils. He can raise the dead. He can open the blinded eye. And so when I'm in Christ, I've won Christ. Why? Because I cast off all those old things that used to define me. Those things that caused me as a wicked person to flee when no one was in pursuit. But now the righteous, the blood-bought who have faith in the finished work of the cross, are as bold as a lion. So where's your strength? Where does it rest? Rest in gaining those things based upon the flesh or those things that are in the Spirit. Folks, that's a very tough place to be in. It's a difficult challenge to overcome, especially with people that have a call of God upon their life. Why? Because you want to always, you want to go with what got you there, so to speak. You always want to go to that same old tool in the pouch. You always want to draw from that place. But the Word of God says, Therefore with joy shall I draw waters from the wells of salvation. I want to draw from a source that transcends my abilities, my inabilities, my, 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 my gifts, my talents. I want to draw something that's going to have an internal impact upon someone else's life, first and foremost, mine. Amen? And so the reason being is that it goes against our grain and everything that the individual has put stock in and relied upon to carry them to that point. Folks, you know this. You've been there. You know, there's a certain comfort level that develops when you see a certain level of success based upon previous experience. There's a comfort level. There really is. You know, there, there's a comfort level when you're used to going into a certain place and doing a certain thing. You know, we take teams, obviously, and take teams into to New Orleans uh, during Mardi Gras. We'll take them to Bourbon Street. Now, there are certain people that are so dis- overwhelmed by that first experience. They see the neon lights. They see all the stuff. And they think going in, they're like, man, Bourbon Street, man, all these things happening, people flashing. And there's a, I have a comfort level. That's home for me. I don't notice that stuff. Why? Because if you've ever been with me there, and I'm not just talking about Mario any other time, I leap out of the car, and I'm darting towards the street. People are always saying that. Brother, you know, this is usually not when it's a Mardi Gras race, but I'm like, I'm like the first one out there. Why? There's, there's no intimidation. That's my street. That's my home. I've spent countless hours. I've prayed for people. I've preached there. I've seen people kneel. And so I, I can draw from that. It's easy. It's an easy place to be. And so it's, it's no big challenge for me to stand in front of a strip club on Berber Street and preach the word with boldness. Why? Because I've done it a thousand million times. Okay? I've done that. And so the, the, but the, the, the risk that comes in in our lives is when we've considered that kind of old hat and we don't think we have to put the time in in prayer. We don't think we have to have the same compassion anymore. We don't think we have to, to inquire what the directive that God has. Why? Because, man, we could do that with our eyes closed. That's a danger. So what's your comfort level? What's that place that maybe you've been in a million times and so as a result, you, you, you think you can just cruise through those things. And so what happens is you begin to slip. And so here's what happens. We get into that place, we see certain things that we're quote-unquote good at, things that seem to be so easy, seems, seems to, to just roll off our tongue and come into our life. So easy, man, opportunities just pop in there. And so here's what we tell ourselves. That's got to be God. It's got to be God. Because otherwise, why would things go so well and feel so good when I'm doing them? But God. Anybody ever done that? 
Gotta be God. It was successful. Gotta be God. People said amen. Had to be God. God bless. Had to be God. Opportunity. Had to be God. I got news for you folks. The adversary will give you more opportunities than you can ever imagine. He'll give you a lot more opportunities than God will because God's only going to give you one. And that's the one right on the other side of your obedience. The adversary is going to be just like that guy that presents you daughtery and he said, take your pick. God says that there's only one way and it's a narrow way. And he said, I am that way, that truth, that life, and there's no other way. Any man that would enter in by any other way is a thief and a liar and a robber. So the way that God has for you is a narrow way of obedience. In order to choose the right way, what do you've got to do? You've got to step back and inquire of the Lord. And you've got to hear that voice diligently. So the trap is, must be God. Why would it go so well? Why? Because the enemy knows that he can catch more flies with honey than he can with spiritual vinegar. Amen? You know, I remember probably five or six times in my first 14 years of ministry, Pastor Alex and Pastor Thomas were around for some of this, that I had literally, I'd convinced myself that it was time to go and move on to something else. I remember sitting down with the elders in the church and saying, Listen, guys, I'm just telling you, man, I just, you know... God's telling me, you know, I've got to go. And I was convinced. But it was just a temptation. And you know where the temptation came from? It came from having invested long, endless hours. It came from having experienced greatly pressured and limited financial resources. It came from having to constantly change and adapt to circumstance. It came from seeing a lack of measurable results. It came from feeling no real appreciation for those I served. It came from enduring times of isolation and loneliness. It came from feeling rejected and misunderstood. It came from feeling inadequate. It came out of exactly what God had put me into. And so all those things that God had ordained for me, when I didn't pass those tests and I came out the other side and said, well, I'm gone. God said, the only reason that you're thinking that is because you failed those tests along the way. Get back in there. And so he kept handing me the test and I kept flunking the test and I kept going back and saying, I'm gone. Until one day I turned it in. He said... Good job. Now I've got another assignment for you. And I went on obedience. And what did God do? Because I was faithful over that hard, stinking test that kept tripping me up. God entrusted me to bigger things. But if you think for a minute that you can just kind of slide that under somebody else's paper and they'll get to reading it and testing it and checking it later and maybe God won't notice... What's that news for you? You'll never do it. And the problem is, and here's the danger, and that's probably why I'm, I'm the way I am, especially in relationship to dealing with, with leaders and people with a call, because of the enormous responsibility that we have towards other people. It's just about you, big deal. Go do your thing. But it's not just about you. It's just about me. Go do your thing and, you know, go stand on a corner by yourself or whatever else. I've seen that. But when you're plugged into other people, everything that you do is going to have an effect on what they do in their life. And are you going to be that one that would cause that little one to stumble? If so, you're better off with a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the sea. I, per- I personally didn't ever want to hold my breath that long. After going through God's prescribed order of things that were designed to shape me into that person... So that he could trust me with his work and rid me of the things which would tempt me to rely on those things which were gained to me or would tempt me to build my own kingdom rather than a Jesus kingdom. God brought me through those tests. 
Folks, here's the thing. Most people would rather avoid that stage of character development. Most people would. All those eight things that I gave you to open up, most people would rather avoid that uh, because they're convinced that it's either A, unnecessary, or B, of the devil. Just those two things. People don't want to go through those things that God has ordained because, number one, it's unnecessary. I don't need to know that. I already know that. That's what I said. He kept handing me my paperback. Well, God, I've already been through it. I understand that. Well, here you go again. God, I've done that. I've had the experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, here's your paperback. Well, we break it down. We don't want to do that. It's got to be the devil. And don't tell... Don't, you can't tell me none of you have ever thought stuff like that. I did. That's just the enemy trying to kill me. That's the enemy trying to, trying to choke out my call. Trying to hold me back. The Lord looking at me kind of that puzzled. Looking, he's like, the enemy... I'm the one who wrote that grade on there. I, for one, will never assist you in avoiding that process. I'll tell you right now. I will never assist you in avoiding that eight-day process. Period. Am I mean? Am I indifferent? You'll think that. But you know what? I already got through that, that seventh stage of feeling rejected and misunderstood. You can bug me with that. You can whine. You can cry. You can bellyache. You can say, well, you should have I'm, I'm already past that stage, so that's, that's where you're at. I, I'm beyond the condemnation stage. Why? Because I know that you need that. Because if I do it, then I not only put you at risk, but all those who will subsequently follow after you. Because if you're not willing to take the test, you'll never even put the test before them. You hear what I'm saying? Remember the karate kid? Wax on? Wow. That's karate kid. Mr. Miyagi. So y'all can just call me Mr. Miyagi. Wax on. Wax off. You remember how he used to... He kept saying... This was back, this was back when I was in high school, the 80s. And they've had... Sequels and some of you guys still rent the DVD or got it on VHS. Mr. Miyagi kept telling the, the young Daniel-san to do all these tasks that seemed so mundane. He promised that he would teach him karate so he could beat up the bully. And he had him waxing his car and cleaning his yard and painting his fence. You remember that? Daniel-san thought it was so mundane. Why, dude? I, I already know how to paint. I want to know how to fight. I already know how to wash a car. I'm here to learn how to fight. I already know how to do yard work. I'm here to learn how to fight. Now, folks, what happens in the ministry is this. Well, I already know how to do all these things. I'm here to learn how to fight. Well, if you knew how to do all those things, you wouldn't be having to do them. Here's what it promoted for Danielson. Discipline. Right? I'm doing it. What's the root word of discipline? It's a disciple. You want to be a, a disciple? You'll never be a disciple without discipline. Trust. Now, where's the trust come? Trust comes as though, Mr. Miyagi, evidently you know what you're talking about. And so I trust you. I trust you as that one that God has put to speak in. I, I trust you to do that. For him, it provided muscle memory. Look, he's doing this. Why? Because later on when it came, man, he didn't have to think about it. So, folks, a lot of the things that God has done is creating a spiritual muscle memory, so to speak. Why? Because you'll be able to draw from those experiences. You'll be able to draw from those conversations. You'll be able to draw from that fire that you've had to go through. Why? Because you're going to need it. And the fourth thing is endurance. 
Folks, it's a hard fight. It's a long race. You know, for me, man, I was 15 years old when God showed me some things that I'm just now seeing come to pass. Some 30 years in the making. What if I would not have endured? What if I'd have said, well, like some spoiled kid and threw myself on the ground and say, well, you told me such and such and I didn't see it. It's kind of like Jesse going to the house of uh, uh, David going, I mean, uh, Samuel going to the house of Jesse and anointing David king, and he didn't bring a crown. He brought a horn of oil. And what if David said, "Hey, dude, you're going to be king. I'm looking for a crown." It was many years later, enduring all the abuse under Saul and all the challenges that he had. That was his eight-question test. That he had to pass. And he passed it. But here's what I've seen. I'll just say this to you. Going back all these many years myself in, in ministry and watching people, you know, I've saw some extremely gifted and talented people come and go. I have. I've seen people that I thought to myself at that particular time, man, that person is going to go and do something amazing. I thought to myself it would not be a stretch of the imagination to see that person on television preaching the gospel. Man, hallelujah. I like listening to them. Man, they're going to do it. I've seen many of those people. Man, that, that person can sing. Boy, listen to them. It's powerful. All these things happened. They had all this enormous ability, all this, these things at their disposal, but they lacked the foresight to persevere and they lacked the willingness to count all things at loss for the sake of Christ. That's what they lack. All that ability, all that talent, all those accomplishments got them absolutely nowhere but smack dab in the middle of a destination of disappointment. That's it. I can take, them to, I take you to them now and you know what? They can still talk a good game but they've never done anything. They're still talking about what's going to happen 20-something years later. And they're still not making any progress towards it. Why? Because they refuse to count everything as lost. You'll see it. You'll see it. He continues in verse 8 in Philippians 3. Look what he said. He said, Yea, doubtless. He said, I count all things but lost for the ecstasy of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Big loss when you count them like that, right? That I might win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Not having my own righteousness. Any of y'all over there, been there, having your own righteousness? You think that your call, your ministry, your destiny, so to speak, is the result of your own righteousness? That's the word emos in the Greek, and it means having to get your own way. So we use words like righteous and we get real spiritual. Oh, it's not me. I'm self-righteous. Well, it's like saying, and be found in Him, not having to have it my own way. You have to have your way. But don't go your way. Do you just reject it altogether because it didn't meet the criteria that you had prescribed for yourself? That's what he said. Which is through the faith of Christ Jesus, the righteousness of God. Folks, faith-based or faith-founded ministry must be a ministry that lives by faith and refuses to walk by sight. And sight is feelings, sight is emotions, sight is circumstance, sight is those things that you'd make you want to think it's going to be easy. Then he says in verse 10, here's the whole point, that I might 
know Him. Anybody want to know Him? Folks, I really enjoy all this. I enjoy preaching the gospel. I enjoy teaching people. I enjoy uh, all the neat things. But really, my goal is just to know Him. I could bypass all of this, but this is just the assignment that He's given me for me to know Him. I don't know what your particular specific assignment is for you to know Him, but I do what I do to know Him. I'm not looking for the accolades of man. I'm not looking to get rich. I'm not looking to make a name for myself or end up on a billboard. I'm not looking for a position. I'm not looking for somebody to call me Pastor Apostle. I'm not looking for any of that. Because at the end of the day, guys, it's not going to make any difference. But I want Him to look into my life when I stand before Him and say, I know you. God, I know you. Got all those other ones over there taking their home. I don't, I don't know them. I, I know you. That's why I do what I do. Go what I do. Go and pay the price that He's had me pay because I want to be known of Him. That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. Verse 11. If, if any means I might obtain a resurrection from the dead, that I might know Him. You know this, Matthew seven twenty-one through 23. You don't have to turn there. He says, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father which is in heaven. I want to do His will. Not a will, but the will. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, think about this. Have we not prophesied in your name? In whose name? Not their own name, but His name. Have we not cast out devils in your name? And in your name did many wonderful works? Did we not start a ministry and call it uh, Jesus' number one ministry? God's got to honor that. Boy, did we not print up the shirt that says, uh, Team Jesus Ministry? God's got to honor that. Man, I, I, I had the church, and above it I said, Jesus is, 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 is Lord Ministry. God, God's got to honor that. Well, what do you say? Many people are going to say that. Well, what do you say? Depart from me. I never knew you. You the word iniquity. Folks, just because you put Jesus' name on it, or you say, Thus saith Jesus doesn't mean it's Jesus. Jesus is always going to be found inside of His will, not our want. Doesn't He say that again? Knowing Jesus is going to be found on the other side of His will, not on the other side of our want. And what I found is most of the things that I want separate me from His will. Straight up. You know me, I'll just give you, give you a personal, real-time situation. My flesh wants to live right here in Daytona Beach, Florida. It does. My flesh loves it. I mean, who wouldn't want to enjoy beautiful days like this? Go out and sit by the beach, get you a Starbucks coffee, and splash around in the surf. I mean, I, that's what my flesh wants. But when Jesus said, okay, time's up. Glad you enjoyed that. You've invested what you need to invest on a daily basis there. Now, here's my will. Now, for me, it's easy. Okay. You mean I'm going to have to go back? I'm... No, it's just real easy. Okay. Somebody asked me the other day, so are you excited about moving back to New Orleans? I said, excited. I said, you know, excitement is something that comes out of not knowing what to expect. I don't live there. I live in a realm of expectancy. Excitement comes from what, man, I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know. I said, you know, I'm, I'm excited for Pastor Sam and Lucy Krogan who are going to Texas because I know they don't know what to expect. I'm excited for them because they get a new time of discovery. I said, but I know exactly what God told me to do when I go back to New Orleans and other things begin to unfold. And then I know I know what to expect. So I wouldn't call it I wouldn't call it excitement. I would call it 
expectancy. Ask in a minute. I'm about to close. I'll give you another scripture real quick. Acts chapter 6. Verse 1 through 8. Here's what I'm going to close with. You know what that means? Absolutely nothing. No, not really. I am closing here. It says, Now in those days, a number of disciples were multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It's not desirable that we should leave the word and serve tables. And look at verse 3. You need to circle this. It says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And that's a tall order. But we will ourselves give continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timian, Parmenius, Nicholas, proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. But what kind of people was he looking for to raise up? Men of good reputation. King James, I think, says an honest report. You know what's interesting to me about that, guys? In Acts 1 and 8, it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be a what? A witness. Most of you know that Greek word is, we get our word martyr or martyros, the ability to lay down your life. You know, it's the same word right there. Seek out seven among you of martyrios. Seek out men that are willing to lay their life down. Good reputation. Same, same Greek root word. Send me men that are willing to lay down their life. Send me women that are willing to lay down their life. Folks, if we want the number of disciples to increase greatly, followers of Jesus, whether they attend church here or are part of this ministry, if we want to see that, well, God is looking for people that are willing to lay their life down. They're willing to lay down those things that they thought were gain. Their opportunities, their situations, their circumstances, their fears, their ambitions, and follow Jesus. Amen. Bless the Lord. Did you have a question? Comment? I'm sorry. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight, Lord God. Father, we want to be those people of a good report. We want to be people, Lord God, that daily want to lay our lives down. Just as the Word says, we want to daily take up our cross and follow you. Father, teach us how to die daily to self. Because we want to be known of you, Lord God. We want you to look into our lives on that day and say, I know you. I know you because you were obedient. I know you because you endured. I know you because you were faithful. So, Father, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters in Christ that are here gathered tonight. And those, Lord God, that are listening elsewhere, listening in delay. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for each and every one of us, Lord God, that you would teach us, Lord God, to be followers of Christ Jesus. You would teach us, Lord God, to be marked men and women as examples, Lord God, of what you desire for those that you called, Lord God, to be on that leading edge, to be on that frontier of mystery. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.